Amen. Good morning, church. Hope everybody's doing all right. It's awful nice morning out there. It looks like maybe the clouds are coming. Might get some rain. I'm not too worried about it. <clears throat> I don't like to preach very much about the songs that we've done. I know that can maybe get annoying for everybody. It's like we just sang them. We've been pondering the songs. But sometimes there are songs that you read the verse and you're like, well, I think whoever wrote this song read the verse that we're preaching on today. <laughs> and that was one of those. <clears throat> um, it's just tremendous. Uh, the, the alignment's fantastic. So as you sang that song, and maybe you think, oh, that's interesting, challenging words. There's going to be more of that. Uh, last week, we talked about this in small group. Uh, last week, I errantly said that we'll be wrapping up the book of Romans 8. That was a lie. There's a whole other chunk of scripture after we stopped last week. So I'm not sure what I was thinking. Um, but I said, it, uh, I mentioned in small group that if anybody was under the impression that I am infallible, that's not true, because I clearly, it was not the end of the book. So today, though, is, unless I'm wrong again, and maybe there's a, a deluxe version of the book that I don't have, but today we, we're going to close out Romans 8, and, and Romans 8 is, is one of those, uh, there's a lot of this, don't get me wrong, but Romans 8 especially, in, in these little small chunks of Scripture, we see things that, that just kind of blow open ideas that should hopefully stick with us, uh, we, should, we should be able to chat over. And if you find yourself these things rattling around in your head and you're troubled by that, we pray and we get our, our, our word out and we talk to one another and the world notices this and wants to know what's going on. I think being a little bit confused at the first pass of Scripture is not a problem. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the opening of a door that we get an opportunity to walk through together. Um, the, the longer I live on this earth and the more time I spend in a body of believers, the more I realize how important a body of believers is for us to be able to sharpen it. A sword with nothing striking it will never sharpen. And we know iron can sharpen iron, rocks can sharpen iron, there's plenty of things, but if nothing strikes it, it will remain dull forever. So I'm thankful for the church body. I'm thankful for this opportunity. If you're being struck by this word and you don't like that it maybe feels like it's dulling you instead of sharpening you, as Mike mentioned, let us know. I, I, we want to talk about this. We want to understand this. These aren't necessarily simple, easy concepts. I don't think they were entired. I don't think they were engineered to be. They're not, we're not entitled to understand these the first time we read them. We rely on the Spirit. We rely on God for that. So today's, scripture, today's sermon is going to be called More Than Conquerors. This is right in a, in a song we just sung. It's not a lyric that we stole. This is words. Uh, this is actually a, a phrase from God's Word. So with that, let's jump on in and read it. We'll be in Romans 8, uh, about two-thirds of the way through, and we'll wrap it up today. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to uh, turn. If not, read, read what's on the screen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Well, I'll tell you what, we end that passage, Lord, with words that are so humbling. 
Nothing can separate us from your love that we did not deserve, that we cannot earn, that is a free gift. In a world filled with conditions where we have to meet this in order to be granted that or so on and so forth, it's all give and take. Uh, Here we see, Lord, that we have been given something because of a, a good father who cares for us so much. We are given a free gift that nothing in this world can take from us. Uh, Lord, if, if we have confidence in nothing else, let us have all of our confidence in this alone. Thank you for this, this opportunity to study your words. In your sense, I might pray. Amen. More than conquerors. Let's see if the side switching will work today. Ooh, maybe it is. Did you switch that, Emma? Yahweh, all right. God is good all the time, yeah? We just talked about this in our small group. If it didn't work, to be clear, if the slideshow didn't work, God is still good all the time, just so we're saying that. All right, so let's jump in here. Can good news get any better? We talk about good news, gospel, good news, um, but can it get better? Yeah, last week was suffering. Probably thinking, oh, it could probably get better than that, but what Paul's getting at here is it is going to get better. The good news is even the best stuff we've got here isn't going to amount to a hill of beans at the end. But last week we talked about suffering, but for a purpose. And this week, I think we're going to focus in on the object of that suffering. Why would we suffer? Why would we wait well? What's the point of all this? And it's confidence in knowing that God is for us. Um, we, and we can have assurance that we are God. So we're going to get into this. When we talk about what it means for God to be for us, it may not be what we think it means when God is for us. It's what God determines is best for us, which may not be aligned with what we think. So there's lots of quotes here. I mean, if there's, a, if there's a book of the Bible, Romans is one that's quoted endlessly, and I would argue a lot of times can be taken out of context if you don't understand the depth. But right here we see in, in, the, in a, is verse 31, not verse 1, in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, amen and amen. So I want to be real clear. This isn't some tricky thing about what is a God? And when he says force, what is it? No, it's, it is in and of itself, in, in and out of context, the truth. If you say this and somebody believes it, good. It's the truth. And I love that it's the first verse of today's passage because the remainder of the passage argues what that means. When we say God is for us, who could be against us? Well, that's fair. The reality is what Paul's going to unpack here is all the things that seem to be against us God makes for us. God has intended for it to be for us. I talked about a John Piper sermon. I encourage you to go look it up. It's, a, it's about a passage in Genesis. Uh, I believe it's Genesis saying, you intended these things for bad, but I intended them for good. It's not I salvaged them, it's intended them. What we see in Scripture here is God is sovereign. So what Paul's going to talk about is in what manner God is for us. And that is for even when the world is against us, God takes the against, intends that that seems to be against us to be for us. It's not about necessarily removing the quote-unquote against. It's about knowing that God is in control of the against. These things. So we start right off here. (laughs) What then shall we say to these things? Suffering, success, faith, and fear. These were just referenced back in verse 28. Right? We know those who love God work together for good and those who are called according to his purpose. Right? Uh, the, the, these things, all of these things work for the good. But if we talk about everything that we've read up to Romans, that's a lot of things that Paul has discussed. He has covered the gambit of things. 
If it's been discussed in Romans, when we see these things, we can talk about it. These are sometimes good things. There'll be some blessings, some good provision, as we might see it. God definitely can use that. But also the other things, the things that are not so good, the suffering, the the bad news, the, if you will, the things that come into this world that do not bring us happiness or pleasure necessarily in this world. It sounds great, but it doesn't mean it's easy to understand fully. I know I touched on this, but it's, it's easy to read this when things are going okay and saying, yeah, everything works for, for my, God's for me. I mean, look at all the things that are going my way. And then when, when our circumstances change, we say, God, why have you forsaken me? Well, God has not forsaken us. That has been finished with the work of Christ. We'll get into that. But we talked to, the, today in our small group, the, the end of that last chapter makes it very clear that since time immemorial, God knew who his people were. And he will see them glorified. You will not be forsaken. Christ on the cross was forsaken when he bore the wrath of God. But that's not our gig. And we don't want to be thinking that way. That said, it's not a license to do our will. This doesn't mean that, well, I can do whatever I want. And it's all for the goodness of God. And God's for me. So all my thoughts and my actions are intrinsically good and are a benefit to me or others. That's not true. We will not do good on our own. Paul also has made that very clear as we've gone through Romans. No one is good. No, not one. We want to focus on the will of God. As all these things occur in our life, the good and the bad, Paul's going to get into that too. We want to make sure that we're taking these things and working in our mind, in our spare time, in the world around us, working through, unpacking, thinking about the Word of God, focusing on what the will of God would be, understanding what our salvation cost him and what it means and what we are intended to do with it here on earth. God holds nothing back. Now, people might say, well, that's not true. He could if he wanted to. Yeah, he could if he wanted to, I suppose. But I don't think the Bible tells us that. I mean, we could postulate that why, in a certain case he would. Even when it looks like God's holding something back, it is for benefit. Pulling something away, not not, not letting a kid eat poison is not holding something back from them. It's saving them from something. It's granting them. It's being for them. That's why I can say God holds nothing back. There's not a thing that that it would be good for us, that would benefit us and glorify God, that God's going to pull back from us. If God offers his son to us, why would he hold back anything? That's That's the Hecox standard version here of Paul saying, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he also... How, he'll, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now you're thinking, nah, nothing's not true. Well, he will, how will he not give us all things is not giving you nothing. All things. So everything we're dealing with, if it's a thing that is for us, God will give it to us. But God's all things are maybe not the world's all things. And I say that because what Paul's talking about here is not something that's designed to intentionally harm us. He's not going to poison us. He's not going to set us up in a trap that will cost us everything. That's not what God does. We may think that's what's happened. We may think that we're being tempted by God or that he's, he's putting something in front of us that's only designed to be punitive and cause us to stumble and harm ourselves. That's not true. We do that plenty ourselves. God is for us. That doesn't mean we won't endure bad things. 
But there's, a, there's an intent there for us to grow, an intent to bring glory to God. When we see bad things occur in our life, we know that this is one of those all things. He's not holding back something, right? This seems bad, but I know all things work for the glory of God. If God's for me, who could possibly be against me? The world can't take any of this away from me at the end game, all the way unto death. This should be comforting to us, but not comforting us in a way that like, I've got a great cushy life, so this is, must be right where God wants me. Look at all the wonderful things, the big TVs and the warm house and the nice car. These are the all things that God's talking about. If God's for me, how could the creditors be against me? That's not what this is talking about. This is far more important and eternal than that sort of thing. What God gives us matters eternally. The stuff from God, the stuff that matters, the stuff as I've gotten older for those here that are older than I, the stuff that you start to see matter in life is different than what I saw matter in my 20s, certainly different than what I saw matter in my teens. Now, I wish I could tell you that the moment I, I was saved, my, my, the, the moment when it all became evident to me that I was elected, I didn't even understand what that meant at the time, but it was Christ was real and I was saved. I was going to be glorified, didn't understand it fully either. I wish I could say from that point forward, it's all been great. I've been steadfast and God's blessed me in a million ways and my life's been good. That's not true. And I'll tell you this, moreover, I'm only 43, but in my 43 years, the times when I have felt the most effective for the kingdom, the closest to God, the most, the most centered around Christ is when everything in the world is coming apart where nothing is going good. And I have to have only my reliance on the goodness of God to carry me through. When, when things are going pretty good in the world, I tend to think errantly that well, things, are, things are going pretty good. Um, am I, the, the need for me in the kingdom right now appears to be minimal. So I'll just wait here. I'll just stand on the shore. I don't need to get in the boat. You know, if the, if the, God will call me into something. And I'd say God's called us into something. Once again, not to suffer for no reason at all, but everything the world wants perishes, period. If what we are seeking is something that will be destroyed, it's not eternal, period. Fundamentally, we are looking for God's will to work. That is exactly what Paul's talking about. He, yes, he's encouraging people here through this whole book about finding peace and solace in suffering. But not just in suffering. It's understanding that suffering and the object of that suffering. If we're suffering and we're going through it, and, and, and the questions that, that Paul is asking here is about trying to help us understand, trying to help the people there understand and himself understand that there's more to this, a lot more to this than suffering or not suffering. It's about God and his glory. Paul's talking about what I would call the ultimate immunity. Our justification in Christ earns us a status that is immune from prosecution. Who can bring any charge? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, we have a construct in our world, certainly in America, of immunity, um, but it's not unconditional. And some people say, well, that's not true. They could grant it based, but, you know, no, there's usually a reason that you're granted immunity. Like I testify on some, like against somebody. And uh, if I was perhaps a hitman for a mob boss and I get arrested and I give them information about the mob boss that allows them to, to get a bigger fish in prosecution, they may grant me immunity. But it's clearly based on the fact that I'm giving them something they want. It's give and take. It's not free. 
God's immunity is such that nobody can even charge us. Now, I'm not talking about charges here. It's a terrible defense, by the way. If you ever get charged with a crime, it's a terrible defense to go in here and represent yourself and read verse Romans 8.33 and sit down. It won't work out very well, most likely. We will commit sins on this world. We will break law, and there will be penalties to pay in this world for that. But this is inside, this is a much bigger courtroom. This is a judgment-style courtroom, an eternal-style courtroom. We stand in front of a God holy, washed by the blood of Christ. We are no longer guilty of our sins. They've all been forgiven and washed away. Will we sin? Yes. May we we sin in such a way that we commit a crime and go to jail, or we have been charged and convicted? Yes. But we must know that at the end of all this, eternally, even an event like that can be used for the glory of God. And that someday we will stand immune from prosecution. Nobody can charge us. When we talk about our beliefs, when we talk about what drives us forward, what God's about, these charges are more like kingdom-level charges. Like, you sin so bad. Anybody have heard this before? That one's unforgivable. Or say to yourself, ah, I don't know. I don't know if God can forgive me for that. I don't know if I can forgive myself for that. I don't know if I can ask for forgiveness for this. I don't know if I deserve forgiveness. That's what Paul's talking about. We can't even bring charges against ourselves. We're part of the who here. Not the who, the band. But the who that we're talking about. Who can be against us? None can bring charges. You may not have anybody in your life saying, that sin you committed is liable to get you out of heaven. You may not have that. I've heard that stuff before. It's it's false. If you're God's elect, you'll be glorified. You've got to get there. You can't even be charged with those crimes. Tell yourself that. Tell yourself that when you're about to jump headfirst into sin again because you think, what's the point of trying? Why bother? I can tell you this from my heart, folks. There are sins in my life that I can't seem to shake, thorns in my side, whatever you want to call them. And it's a perennial debate. Is it good enough? Can God save me from this? I don't know. The answer is yes, he can. He's trying to right now. I need to redeem my mind. I need to get back into the word and get out of sin and stop thinking and start, stop trying to, to justify it. Stop charging myself with a, a crime that I didn't yet commit because, and then wander right away. Jump right back into the thing that God hates, that I hate. We're not called to do that. We want to charge ourselves. God's immunity is such that nobody can charge us, even us. We're immune from those charges in God's courts. God doesn't see us standing before him anymore. He sees his son, and his son is innocent. You may go. That, your debt has been paid. The death, the blood that was required is handled. Please leave. You are forgiven. Easier said than done. To go all the way back to the beginning, where we started here in Romans 8.1. It's on the shirt here. No condemnation. There is none. And he's reiterating this in verse 34. Who's to condemn us? Who's going to do that? There is no condemnation, but who would try? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If you, think, if, you don't think, if you think there's condemnation, if you think, well, there's no condemnation, for the, there's got to be a little condemnation, then what Paul's saying is, if you doubt that there's no condemnation, then who can do it? If there is some condemnation, then who is going to condemn us? Jesus died, was resurrected, sits with the Father. More than that, he's interceding for us. If you, as a, if you, as a son of God, believe you can be condemned, then you're saying Christ can be condemned by the Father. 
Because that's, that's who he sees when he looks at you. Well, that's a problem. They can't condemn Christ. Nobody can condemn Christ. Can't be done. God the Father certainly doesn't. The world might. The world might try to condemn Christ based on false teaching or whatever. But that's errant. We, don't, we need not worry about the condemnation of the world. When he says, who can condemn us, Paul's talking about the, the, the capital W. Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know how the world feels about us. But who, who in parentheses, that matters can condemn us? And the answer is nobody. There's no condemnation. None. Anybody that tries to bring a condemnation will be shut down. They won't be welcome to testify in the court, if you will. There is no condemnation. If they can't condemn Christ, they can't condemn us. Because the stuff we do that warrants condemnation is on Christ. On Christ. He took care of it. He paid for all of it. I'm going to be sinning later today, I'm sure. Christ has paid for that. Am I ashamed of it? Yes. Do I wish I wouldn't do it? Yes. Is it paid for? Yes. When I stand in front of the Father, am I going to be worried about it? No. Because of the promises of Scripture. That's all I have to rely on. Not me, not my good works, not my best efforts, not me putting up guardrails or sidestepping or, you know, really busying myself so I don't commit other sins. None of that's going to save me. None of that's going to prevent condemnation. Only the blood of Christ. I think Paul's done a great job of covering any of these jurisprudence questions. I like this stuff because uh, it's very clear. Uh, jurisprudence like the, stu- the study of you know, being in court, like how, well, the process, the, the science of being judged, right? The reason he's talking about this is every time you say something like this, someone will say, well, except what about this case, right? If you think about law in general, if everyone's ever seen the book of law in any given area, uh, there's, there's actually books dedicated to silly laws because law itself is very complex, the laws are complicated. The way we enforce those laws and, and punish based on breaking, very complicated. All this, very complicated. Lots of ins and outs, lots of loopholes, tricks, things. In th- the reason Paul's writing this is he's talking to a people that understand law. They understand the concept of this, both in the world around them as Romans, uh, in, the, in the world of Judaism, uh, underneath God's law. They understand the complexity that they've built, all the rules and the regulations, Legally, we are in a wonderful spot thanks to Christ. The the manner in which Paul's dissecting these arguments is one by one trying to knock down the, well, what abouts? But I still stand condemned because of, no, you do not. We need not worry about lacking what we need. If we need it, God will not withhold it. We don't have to worry about that. I don't need to wring my hands and say, I'm not good enough. Now, you're going to nod. You're going to say, oh, amen, right? I don't need to wring my hands and say, uh, I'm not smart enough. Oh, amen. I mean, it's not about that. But what do we do in our lives? We strive to get better. I'm not smart enough. I'll go get some, I'll go to school. I'll get some knowledge. I'll have something imparted to me. I'll study. I will gain knowledge. I'm not strong enough. I'll go to a gym. I will work out. But we never hear anybody say, you're not tall enough. Okay, I'm going to go get my bones stretched, right? That doesn't come up very often. I mean, you could do some of this stuff, right? But I don't have enough eyes. Well, let me go get some more eyes added. There's things we do and there are things we don't. This is a thing we don't. My faith comes from God, not from me. 
Now, I get to use it, and I get to share it, and I love it, and I want it to get more and more and more. But if I errantly start to work on my faith, like I work on my, my body or my mind, I will fall short. If I don't have enough faith, I can't do anything about it except beg for more faith from the Father. How do I beg for more faith from the Father? Let's get into the Bible and see how we do that. And the more you read about where faith comes from, and I realize that I don't need to beg for faith from the Father. He's going to give me the faith I need when I need it. The Spirit's going to, we read about how the Spirit's going to intercede for me when I can't intercede for myself, when I don't even know what to pray. It seems almost as if I don't have to do anything. What, what's that do? In learning that I can do nothing for my faith, my faith grows. This is like learning that I can't lift enough weight makes me stronger. That's crazy in the world. Learning that I can never do better in the company by acting, by, by spending more hours in the company, and suddenly I'm doing better in the company. We don't have this construct in the world. You want a higher ranking position? Work more. Work harder. Brown knows more. There's ways to get ahead in the world. That's not how we get, a, get ahead here. That's what Paul's talking about. You got to give that stuff up. It's about God. The thing that, that I read it last week, and, and Leah read it again today. Rewind the video and watch that again. Read that to yourself again and again and again. When you feel like it's not going to happen for me, I'm not connecting the dots. I'm worried about my salvation. Maybe I'm not saved at all. If you were foreknew, you were predestined. If you're predestined, you're going to be called. If you're called, you're justified. And if you're justified, you're glorified. That stuff in the middle helps us understand how it goes. But eternally, God knew you'd be glorified. Before he even invented time itself, it's settled. And if you're going to be glorified, what Paul's saying is, why would he withhold anything? Why would God dangle on a string something that's necessary for us to be more glorified, to glorify God further, to do more work for him? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. So when something goes away from us, when we think we're lacking what we need, one of two things, God, give me this thing when I need it, or give me peace knowing that I don't need it. I just need to take a vacation. There's no time for a vacation. Then I don't need a vacation. Now, I know it's not that easy because we don't always get to see every little thing in our life through a lens of what God wants for us exactly. But I can tell you, the Word of God is rich. We were talking today in small group, another small group plug, but the process of adoption in today's world is very arduous. It's very filled with legal loopholes and hurdles. And it starts to actually align in some regards of what we see adoption talked about in the Bible. We're adopted sons of God. We live with him now, but the paperwork's not finalized yet. People relate to that today. They wouldn't have in Paul's time. But here it is 2,000 years later, a process that I think aligns really nicely with the biblical process of adoption. I'm a son of God now, but I'm not fully glorified as a son yet. That comes later. Right now, we're waiting for paperwork to process. I've got a job to do in the meantime. And that is tell the whole world about Christ. Well, I thought if they're elect, oh, I know that, but that's not what we're called to do. The Great Commission is not to go out there and debate with the world about election. Look for the magical stamp. It's to search hearts, pray for people. Do you want to know about Jesus? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. No, I don't want to know about Jesus. Too bad. Let me tell you about Jesus, right? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to care for everybody. They need to know Jesus. They, it's not good enough that they don't sin. That's not enough. It'd be great if they don't sin, but only if the Spirit takes that from them. Fixing sin by telling people to not sin won't save them. 
It's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's not telling these guys to, to straighten up and fly right. He's saying, trust in God. Know where your justification comes from. Know that he has known since eternally that this was all going to happen. You'll get cleaned up when the Spirit wants you cleaned up. Until then, get to, get to work. We don't have to worry about opponents charging or condemning us. Not even charged. Like, we can't even, we're not even going to stand trial. If someone tries to bring charges against us, they're thrown out. Ah, he sinned 11 times in a row, willingly. God says, I don't see any of that on the record. Those sins were paid for. Next issue. Well, I saw him do it. I don't recall that. Next. You doubt that? Our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Anybody know how far the east is from the west? It's infinitely far, like God's eternal. What God's saying here is a God that knows everything suddenly knows fully that I never committed the sins that he knew I would commit because the son paid for them at a moment in time. Like, it, it can't make sense, but we've got to trust. I stand unchargeable and uncondemned. Sounds like we're on easy street, right? Easy's in the eye of the beholder. And after all this, what I would say, great news, Paul brings it back in that the world's going to world us, right? The world is not going to pull back. It's not gonna, you're not going to walk around and say, uh, I, I didn't sin and I can't be condemned of it because I didn't do it. No, we're going to sin. And the world doesn't care about your sin or not. They want to see the kingdom of Christ thwarted by crushing the work of Christ. And if you doubt it, this is Paul quoting scripture. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Easy enough, I suppose. <laughs> Not ideal. Few of us, I'm sure, woke up today and say, you know, today I hope I'm being killed. And I hope I'm regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I don't know that that's what we're supposed to seek. We're not supposed to be actively engaging and, in, in, you know, standing in front of slaughter machines or whatever. But don't perish the thought that we worry about this so much that we don't do anything. Paul's reminder is that our assurance is more than an easy life. Our assurance is not good times here. If you're focusing on living your best life now and not living your best life eternally, you are wasting your time. I don't care how things are going, how healthy, wealthy, or wise you are. If you are not doing the work the, world, the Word of God has called us to do, your life may seem easy, but it is anything but. You'll spend your entire life positioning yourself on a freight train into an eternally separated life. Suffering all time for a God that doesn't know you. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. An easy life here is of no consequence compared to the glory that comes. We've got work to do and God's going to use us. So in the midst of all that, knowing we've got good things, we've got bad things, Paul's trying to bring this back in. Yeah, yeah, we know. We know that, you know, we're going to be killed. We're going to, we should be seen. We should understand that we're sheep to be slaughtered for the cause of Christ, for the glory of God. Take my life. Do it. You can't stop this. You kill me. I spend eternity with Christ. You beat me. It promotes the name of Christ. People will wonder, why are they beating the tar out of this guy? He's a believer in Christ. Why is he taking it? Who's he praying for? The guys that are beating him? Word spreads. It spread then. Imagine the world of today. 
I mean, granted, we don't deal with this here, but we deal with it in other countries. We hear about it all the time. There are people that are being saved in America hearing stories of people being beaten in China. We're promised it will happen. Once again, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. But not just us, not us getting in there and bootstrapping it and getting out and doing the work and going on the mission field through him who loved us. That last part is critical. We will do more than conquer with Christ and we will perish into oblivion without him. If Christ is not at the center, if it is not the the preeminent focus of all of our work, of everything that we do, if we're not constantly reminding ourselves, reminding one another that the work that we do inside these walls, inside the walls of our workplace, inside the walls of our homes, the walls of our friends' homes, the walls of Walmart... Nobody wants to hear you come here and claim Christ and then go to Walmart and cuss out a deli person that sliced the wrong cheese. That's a problem. They sliced the wrong cheese? Oh, well, no, I'm suffering. Well, barely. But what are you going to do about it? They probably know what they did. There's some grace to be shed here. You've got to wait five more minutes. What can you do with that five minutes? What has God done for you at that deli counter? And if you don't see it that way, Search your heart. Read scripture. If I, get, if I get gunned down in the parking lot today because of this sermon, I'm going to go to heaven with a clean heart about it. No, fire away. That's a bummer. It's a bummer. But if that's how that's going to go down, that's how it's going to go down. We don't deal with that here. I don't have to worry about the police kicking the door and saying, Those are, that's not allowed. Not yet. I mean, who knows what tomorrow brings. But that's not going to change my attitude. Here in America, our suffering is much different. And a lot of times, church, we don't do a very good job of suffering well, we forget what our perspective is, and we want to fight for what we think we're entitled to, just like the world does. And we have little tiny opportunities to make a big impact for Christ. A big impact. A server at your restaurant's having a tough time. Look at them. See what they're doing. They're dealing with 19 tables. Leave them a decent tip. Write a note on there. I've seen servers brought to tears. Why do they do that? Why do you cry when you write something on there and you say, great job today. Here's 30%. And they did it. They know they weren't there all the time. They know your drinks ran empty. Why did you do this? What do you think that matters to them? It's exactly the same kind of love that God showed us. You don't deserve this. You didn't earn it. I love you. Here's 30%. I see you're having a tough time. You need more grace than I do right now. People are moved by this. They cry at table sides. And that's just $30. It doesn't even matter in the Grand Hill. But they're going to say, what's going on here? You write something on there, you get a chance to see in the next week, and they're taken aback by this. You get to share something with them about, well, at the end of the day, I'm called to love people as Christ loved me. You know, Christ gave me a lot more than a big tip when I was having a really, really tough time in life. I wasn't serving him well. I was messing around, talking with my friends. I had my phone out in the eternal restaurant of salvation. This is a terrible metaphor, but effectively, I was doing a bad job, and Christ decided to tip me salvation. And I'm standing here looking like, you're going to save me after what I did? I'm a terrible server. Eternal life? You're going to see this tip. Why would you do it? He says, because I love you. You are always going to be saved. All the stuff you did, I knew all that. I paid for all that. That's my problem now. When we go out and we suffer in the world, if we say, I'm going to take this suffering, I'm going to turn it into a tool that God has given me to use... It changes everything. That sounds good, but there's no buts. Look at all these extremes that he gives us here. 
in, in, starting in verse, uh, in verse 38. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us. You might think, well, why would anything good separate us from God? Take a look at the world around you. Look at these multi-million, billion-dollar ministries that have separated people and pastors and leadership from, in my opinion, God. Good things. Jets and private cars and $5,000 suits and huge staffs and mansions and multiple facilities and huge walls built out of luxury between themselves and the work of Christ. It's a huge facade. Good things can separate us from Good things can separate you from God, but not if you are in God. Good things come, bad things come, we know. Nope, not going to take me away. It may feel like it. It may feel like things are going so good or, uh, you know, a long life. What if I live too long and I get weary in my old age and I turn from Christ? I've heard this said before. I once saw somebody stand in front of a cross at a a ceremony where we were talking about forgiveness, putting, nailing things to a cross, and he said, I don't have anything in my life to pray for right now because it's all going so good, and I'm fearful of what God's going to do that I'm going to find bad. Like, like he's waiting for the other shoe to drop. He's waiting for God to, to, to press the grapes again, and I don't want it because I like my life in the way that it is. If anybody ever got crushed for Christ, it was Paul. And Paul's not worried about that sort of thing, and neither should we. If you live long, if you live short, praise be to God. It isn't going to separate you, not from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you want anything to last forever, it's that. Death, life, angels, rulers, present, future, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation. I mean, talk about the et cetera of et ceteras. Anything else in all creation. You cannot be separated from the love of Christ. And when you see people who are not talking about the love of Christ and have built themselves a world, they, they didn't get separated from the love of Christ. They never knew the love of Christ. That's different. There's going to be plenty of people out there that can act like they know the love of Christ. But it, we can look at them. We can see the fruit that are being born. What are they doing? Is it making sense? Is it aligning with God's word? Is what they are saying the truth? If not... Despite them looking successful, they've never been in the midst of the love of Christ. They've never had the impact. So that's probably bad teaching. Despite looking great in the world, bad teaching. Not to get too uh, theatrical, but there's a, a wonderful scene in, I think, in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he's, these two people are looking for the... the uh, the cup of Christ, right? I, I can't think of the name of that. Anyway, escapes me right now. But it's, what's it? Holy Grail. Thank you. Goodness gracious. So they're looking for this thing, and and the the whole scene here is there's a room. If you've never seen it, I'm sure everybody's seen it, right? It's filled with all these wonderful cups and the various types of jewels, and and the guy that knows nothing about about who Jesus was or what what the scripture said, if you will. Granted, it's a movie. You know, picks this. That's a cup of a king, and it, and he dies, and. The Indiana Jones realizes that this was a humble person with a humble death. And he says, that, that looks like a cup that Christ would have had. And it's not fancy at all. It's very simple. It, it kind of stands out in the other way. But for those that are looking for something wonderful, so that's the cup that he picked. Well, 
This is a, a very similar thing to the way you should be able to identify Christians in the world. Are they effective at their job? <laughs> this was a cup that was effective at holding liquid. Is this person effective at the Great Commission and the Great Commandment? Yes, that's the cup. That's the person that's bearing Christ. Well, this person's got a jet, and they've got 15,000 people in their church every Sunday standing there. But I'm not seeing any fruit that looks like they're bearing any, any positive. They're not fulfilling the commandments of, of Christ at all. It looks good. That looks like the church of a king. But that is death. Good or bad. He doesn't just say death. Angels, nor rulers, the devil, the kingship, long life, the wonderful bounty of this, the threat of death and the things that that causes, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. More than conquerors? Yep. Most conquerors can be charged. If we've ever looked through history, you know this. Just because you're good at taking over a country doesn't make you immune from charging. They call them war crimes, they get to business. They can certainly be condemned, and most conquerors can be separated from their first love. So whatever they conquered for, if it's a love of country, if it's a love of a person, uh, whatever, we know they can be separated. It happens all the time. If you don't believe me, read history. It's full of this. God's promises, God promises us to be more than conquerors. We know we can't be charged. We know we can't be condemned, and we can't be separated. But we're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Why? Because it's not about us. The reason we're more than conquerors is because conquerors are working here in this world with the powers of things in this world to change this world. We're working in this world with a power that is above, beyond this world to fulfill a plan initiated above and beyond this world. There's great comfort in reading a passage that God foreknew and predestined when we go out to minister. We can't fail. God will save all those who he was called to save. It's not about counting the saved. That doesn't matter. God knows the saved. He's not going to have us show up and say, hey, did you bring the paperwork? Because I need to check the roster. How many did you say you saved? 180? I had, 100, I had 185. What happened, guys? Five got away? That's not going to be the case. They're all saved. Our calling, what makes us, where we get anything to stand in front of Christ and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not because we got a few extra that God didn't think would ever turn. I can't believe you got that guy. Unbelievable. Me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were shocked. No, they knew that. Our faithfulness comes from, did you do what I said to do? Did you tell the world about Jesus and salvation through him? Did you do that? Did you hold me above everything else? Did you do that? Yeah? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You kept God in the proper place, and you told the whole world about my son. No other gods before me. Tell the world about it. Boom. Those two have nothing to do with conquering kingdoms and setting things up. The conquering we do is beyond that. Our weakness allows for God's strength. We may have enemies in the world. God told us that. We're not supposed to be surprised. But I can't believe they hate us. They will hate it. They hated me first. They're going to hate you. Here's Paul reiterating it. For your sake, we're being killed. We're to be regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We also know that our war is fundamentally spiritual. When we preach Christ and meet our enemies, we intercede for their salvation. Why do you think these passages exist? Because it's hard for us to see somebody doing a bad thing and remember that they are an image bearer. That they too are created by God. 
and that I need to tell them the truth of Christ, and I need to, to love them as a brother because I don't know any other way. I don't know if they're a brother or not. But if I hold God above all things, including myself and my own beliefs, then, then I'm going to have to love them. I've got to work on that. I, I'm struggling with this because they did a terrible thing. I'm frustrated by them. But I'm going to intercede for their salvation. I'm going to p- be praying in the Spirit, as we stated last week, groaning within us, helping us pray the things we don't even understand, that we don't have words for. Standing in front of somebody that has taken the life of somebody you love with tears coming down your face and saying, I think I forgive you, but I want you to know that I hope to get to see you in heaven and I, I can't connect the dots on this. I'm so angry and I'm so sad and I'm praying for God to take that away. But in the meantime, I want you to know there's something bigger. And the whole world stands in awe of a moment like that. How can you forgive somebody like that? How can you do that? And our answer should be, because Christ has forgiven me. That's all I got. Well, it's because I'm so learned and I've understood in the grand scheme of time. Er, no, it's not that. It's because Christ forgave me. He loved me first and I'm going to love you. And I know that my war is not with you. My war is with spiritual forces in high places. There's something bigger at, 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 that I'm at war with and it ain't you. God told me that. I believe it. I'm working on it. That comes from God, not from us. Everything we do, strive to do it for God through Christ. Everything. Your day job, your family, your charity should be for God, not for us. Right? Anybody see these Facebook videos lately? These are all the rage. We're like, so they give like a homeless guy $100 and, and they're blown away and it's this big emotional thing with music or whatever. And I'm always thinking to myself, they gotta, someone's filming this, right? <laughs> and, and to be in the moment, how much that might take away from the, the, the genuineness of that moment. When someone's like, hey, I just want you to know that I love you, brother. Uh, the lighting's bad. Hold on, we got to do it again. Hey, I just want to know that we love you, brother. There, that was a good take. Like, do you really love me or just, is this for, for Facebook? Like, no, no, I really love you, but, you know, I might as well get some views on it at the same time. It tarnishes the witness a bit, right? Now, maybe not. Maybe other people disagree, but I, I just want to always rattles around in my head. What we see here is, you know, Christ is taking care of all that. We have all the glory we will ever need well beyond this. Worrying about us and looking good, uh, maintaining appearances should be largely irrelevant. So in our day job, our family, our charity, we do it all for God. And it's possible that we do it for God because of the finished work of Christ. And it can't be overstated how awesome this is. We can't fail. We can't come up short. Christ can't be thwarted. He was going to save them, and then I said something, now they slipped away. Jesus pays for all of our sins, and we can serve him with complete freedom. We can talk to anybody that we want to talk to about who Jesus is, and we may screw it up, and we may stumble over words, or they ask us a question we can't answer, and we say, well, I don't, I plumb don't know. That's a great question. I need to go look that up. But I know a guy that might know better. Let's give him a call. Okay. Is that a problem? No, it is not a problem to say you don't know. It's not a problem to say, i got to get you to church to hear somebody else talk because I don't have the words to ever communicate this properly. It's fine. That is all fine. When we work for these things and we're working for God's glory and we're letting God do the work, we don't need to be concerned about where we rank. If I need to speak, at, I mean, we got Mike and Leah can talk to a story about almost being able to understand a foreign language without any training in a foreign language. God will take care of those sorts of things. And sometimes it's going to be miraculous where you can say things or pronounce things or hear things. And other times it's going to be very simple like, 
you were in the right place at the right time and you got to talk to somebody else. You might say, what an interesting coincidence. Or you might say, oh, look, look what God pulled together. Here was somebody that had a problem that I had dealt with. And I was able to talk to them and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. I might never see him again, but you never know. You might read a forward in a book and say, some random guy, and I didn't catch his name, we talked in an airport bar, and it changed my life. I went back to the Bible, and I figured out I'd done it all wrong, and I started this ministry, and I owe it to whoever that guy was. You'll read that and be like, holy smokes. Praise God for that opportunity. It was luck that I was there. It was luck that I knew that, right? No, it wasn't luck. It was God's will, but it wasn't me. I didn't sit down a day and say, let's put this up. Oh, here's where I'll go over here. There'll be a lot of people over here that have dealt with the struggles I have, and I'm very good at that, so I'll make sure I loiter in that area. This heart ought not happen. We just go and we do what we were told to do. Hard to believe? Yeah, it is hard to believe. It's hard to convince others to believe it too. It's not about being strong enough or confident enough. It's about God being so gracious and us being so blessed. Jesus in the garden prayed for the cup to pass, but God's will be done. We can say that same prayer and trust in God. When stuff seems to be too much to bear, when the suffering's too much to bear, I don't want to do it. I know you've given this to me to grow, but I don't want to do it. Pray that prayer. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Lord, let this deli worker slice this cheese right for me, but your will be done. I know that seems a little on the nose, but we don't do that. We forget that in these little sufferings is a potentially a really big opportunity to represent Jesus. The big stuff, maybe this seems a little bit easier, but every day it can be the same thing. Lord, I'm going to try something today, and if, if, I hope it works out, but not your will, not my will, but yours be done. Now, if you approach things in that manner, it starts to make the outcome of that feel a little less burdensome. It went my way. It didn't go my way. But I know it went God's way. The world needs us to do this. <clears throat> We've got to be more than conquerors. We can't just be in charge. We can't go in there and thump skulls. If you want to be moved, read about martyrs. We talked about this a little bit today, but there's so many martyrs that when you read their story, it's, it's just incredible. These are folks that died not for their glory, but for Christ. We remember them, but as examples of what God can do. It's not about being so strong of a Christian that you can go get martyred with little recourse. It's about having the faith to stay the course and have God do with you what God would do with you for his glory. When we talk about martyrs, it's not to glorify their names, it's to glorify God. The world thinks it has the upper hand, but alas, right? There's always this, well, we got him. We got him. This guy was over here, and he started an uprising. We told him he's not to come back to this little island nation. So we killed him. Fast forward 30 years, the whole nation's Christian. Because you can't forget something like that. People start wondering, not about the guy, but what was he doing? It doesn't make sense that he would die for something that he didn't think was true. Maybe it's true. Then they read the word. And God's like, yes, this is the time for them. Whoop! You have now been called and justified. And that's happening again and again and again. And the, the world scratches his head and says, I cannot believe. It seems like every time we kill a believer, 20 more spring up. So here in America, we don't kill believers. We stop that. Our martyrdom is going to have to be something different. We're going to have to die to ourselves and our desires. That's the best we're going to get. The state's never going to pull out a Christian and execute him in front of a church here in America. It's not going to happen. We've taken care of that. But it doesn't necessarily make ministry nearly as effective. Once again, we're not going to go out here and beat ourselves up for the world to make Christ look good. But 
as we suffer, we suffer for the cause of Christ. That's what takes the upper hand right away from the world. So finally, if you're tired of being tired, just know the world's not going to ease up anytime soon. If you're hearing this today and you're thinking, this all sounds great, but I feel like all I do is suffer. I don't have any peace. I don't understand this. I want peace. I want to be able to lay my head on a pillow at night and say, God's will will be done. But I'm, having, I'm, I'm really, really struggling with that. If you're, t- if, you're, if you're tried, doggone it, I always try. If you're tired of trying to do it your way, I have got good news. Jesus offers freedom, peace, and assurance. He chose those three words very specifically. You are free from all the shackles, anything that's binding you. You may not be free from the world, but you're not going to be tethered to sin anymore. No longer a slave to sin. Peace comes from knowing that whatever happens in this world, God's in control of. And assurance comes from knowing that at some point, we will be in the glory of God. Glorified bodies. No more suffering. No more death. No more pain. Freedom from sin. Peace in suffering. And assurance in everlasting life. You cannot be separated from Jesus. Not by anything. If you don't believe me, please reread today's scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know how pumped up I get about Romans in general, but um, Lord, you know my struggles. You know how I came to know you. Uh, you know how I've struggled to serve you in many regards and the road that I've walked and the, the manner in which I've walked it, Lord, has, has been quite unbecoming from time to time, Lord. And um, it's taken a long time for me to understand that I will never be good enough. I'm still learning it in many regards, Lord. I, I tend to want to fix things myself or avoid situations that I can't control. And what we see here in your world, Lord, is a call for us to serve you, not to worry about what the world might or might not do or the suffering that may or may not come or the view that people might have of us as we tell the truth, Lord, but to serve you with all of ourselves, to know that nothing the world brings us. There can't be a charge that sticks. There's no condemnation at all. Nothing eternal. The the world might do with us what the world will, but it doesn't matter. You are in charge. And moreover, it matters greatly in that we know you are for us. And in all things, you will use them for your good. So the worst the world can bring against us makes your glory shine bigger. It's mind-blowing, Lord. Help us, help me to bear that in mind as we leave this place and we talk to a world that is lost and and we desire to emulate it in many regards and make friends by participating in, in the worldly view of things, Lord, and we're called to do something greater. We're called to have a viewpoint that is is strikingly different than the world and 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 have those that you have foreknew and called Fornu and predestined, rather, to be called as we share your good news in a world that needs it now more than ever. And Lord, I know we can say that every Sunday and it be true. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your work 